Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. There are only two times in the Gospels that Jesus marvels at something or someone. Here is one of those instances in our Gospel reading appointed for today. The other place is in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, where Jesus marvels at the unbelief of the people after he had done and said many things among them in his own hometown. But in the reading today, Jesus is marveling at the faith of this centurion, a Gentile, one who came to him appealing for his servant to be healed. And so it's quite something then that Jesus does this because shouldn't it be us that marvel at Jesus? Shouldn't the centurion be standing there and said then the centurion marveled at how great Jesus is? Shouldn't we be those ones standing in awe? Well, we do marvel in life when something amazing happens. Six years ago, Rebecca and I were marveling at the birth of our firstborn daughter, Magdalena, and kind of in a tailspin because she was born two weeks early and I had one of the worst headaches I've ever had in my entire life. But to witness that life emerge from the womb and hold in your arms your child, that truly is marvelous. So then for Jesus then to marvel at this man's faith, a man who is a sinner like us, we ask ourselves, what does this mean? Now to understand this, we look at what the Lord has revealed to us in his word. In this miracle worked by Jesus for the centurion's servant, we see a great example of what it means to live by faith. So he comes to Jesus, and he looks only to him. So here is a man who commands a hundred men, a centurion. And in his own words, he tells us what he does. He says, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So what does he say then when he first comes to Jesus? Does he walk up to Jesus, hold his head high, maybe dressed in all of his centurion military garb, and say, Jesus, come and do as I say. Come heal my servant, and you will do this. Just like he would command one of the soldiers? No, that's not what he does. The response of that man is one who knows his place before God in the flesh. This centurion, this great man who commands men, said... When Jesus said, I will come and heal your servant, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. So he doesn't presume to lecture Jesus about why he thinks Jesus should come listen to him or do what he asks. But in fact, he sees how unworthy he is for Jesus to come into his house. And knows simply just at the word of Jesus, his servant can be healed. So that's quite a statement then. That's quite an example we have, isn't it, with this man. Now to understand it further, we have, by way of contrast, Naaman in that Old Testament reading. And look how he approaches this whole situation. He too was a great man. He too has the favor of a king. He's commanded men. And he's a leper. So then when he goes, and finally Elisha 
uh, has his servant speak to him, what does he want Elijah to do? He wanted Elijah to come out and meet him, to wave his hands almost up in some spectacle, and then for him to be healed. But then he gets upset, because that's not how things work. He's told to dip in the river Jordan, but that's not how he wanted God to operate. So that's different than, than the centurion or even the leper whose very body shows a reverence for Jesus as he comes before Jesus, literally falls down on his face and asks him to be healed. Naaman wants God on his terms, and he wants God to operate on the means that he chooses. And so when confronted with the work of God that's different than how he wants God to operate, Naaman's angry. He's angry at first. He goes away in a rage when confronted with this. But the centurion is left confessing his sin. Now, during this epiphany season, we see God manifest or make himself known in these various readings appointed from the life of Christ. Last week, we had that first miracle of Jesus at the wedding of Cana, where we saw him manifest his glory and showing mercy to his bride, the church, where he bestowed upon them his good gifts, his good wine to these people. And so today in these two miracles, it's something similar. The two miracles in the gospel reading, that is. Jesus himself shows himself to be the one who cleanses. He's the one who heals. And he's the God, too, who enters into history and enters into the lives of people in this world. And he works according to his good and gracious will and through his means. So now as we sit here on this day, near the end of January 2020, and we go through this life and this world, we're confronted also with God and his work. So as a Christian, the Lord places his word before you, and he calls you to faithfulness. He calls you to not be like Naaman. He calls you to close your mouth, to listen and obey what he teaches. He calls you to cast aside your own understanding and look to his wisdom and counsel. And we might sit there and say, great, awesome, that's all good and well. And then we go out into life and things go south pretty quickly. Because it's one thing to sit here and think and say that we believe God's word and think that we believe that God hears and answers our prayers. And then it's another thing when the cancer spreads, when you get laid off work, when your kids leave the faith, when you look at your life and just see how many people you've hurt and sinned against just in the course of a few days. And then Naaman's life doesn't seem that far from ours. Because it's easy to be like Naaman, to want God, but then get angry when we don't get that response that we were wanting. So when you cry out to God and there appears to be no answer, when there appears to be no end to the suffering, that's when that old man, that old Adam, our sinful nature, he kicks in and he starts speaking. He starts formulating his own responses to our life. He starts saying things like, Aren't the rivers in our own land far better than what God has commanded? And the devil and his lies start to creep into our hearts, and like Adam and Eve, we start begin to think, maybe God really didn't say. Maybe God won't hear an answer. Maybe God isn't so great after all. And then we turn God into an idol and force upon him our wants and desires, 
Our fallen will asserts itself and we pray, my will be done. And then we do marble. We marble at our faith because we look at ourselves. We look at the false God that we have created and we're proud. So cross and trial will come in this life. And for some, they will come more severe and more often than others. But when we look at these things and we consider who God is, we see that God has promised for you, though, that, that you will not, will not be great in this world, even if you marvel at this life. But what God shows you is that in this world, the life of a Christian is taking up your cross. It's a life of following him. To be a Christian is to hear the word of God and keep it. So then this centurion thing, the marvelous thing about his faith, is that Jesus sees is that the centurion knows exactly who he is and who the Lord is standing before him. His faith is great because Jesus, the object of his faith, is great. Now, it may sound like splitting hairs, but that's an important thing for us to think about as we consider these things this morning. So how great is your faith? Well, that's kind of a wrong question to ask. The better question is, who is Jesus and what has he done? A great faith never says, my faith this, my faith that. A great faith instead looks outside of yourself in all times and all circumstances and says, Lord, have mercy on me. You are the Christ. Your will be done. And so your Lord Jesus Christ is here this day. And like for that leper, like for the centurion servant, and yes, even like for Naaman, the Lord comes with healing. And he comes under the roof of this place as you have him in his word and sacraments. There's an ancient prayer of the church that's been prayed for centuries before receiving the Lord's Supper that uses the language from this very reading that's before us today. It says, I shall receive the bread of heaven and call upon the name of the Lord. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my soul shall be healed. May the body of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve my soul into life everlasting. Amen. And that's something great for you to marvel as you behold Jesus this day. The Lord is the one who's reached out his hand and he's placed it upon you. He's the one who's taken your sin upon himself and forgives you by the shedding of his blood. And he's taken on our infirmities. He's taken on our diseases. He's taken on the wages and suffering of sin, death, and the devil. And in turn, he's washed you clean in the waters of holy baptism, the waters that he has appointed for your cleansing. And so like the centurion, we're not worthy of anything the Lord has done, no matter who we are, no matter how many people we command or employ or whatever the case may be. We're not worthy even of what the Lord continues to do in our life. But it's the Lord who has shown us mercy. And he's the one who willingly comes to you through his means. So in those times of trial, in those times of cross, in those times of suffering, he's also with you. And he promises that there will come the day when these things will come to an end. Every single time you see Jesus work a miracle in the Gospels, you always get a glimpse into what your future will be, where there is no sin, where there is no wages of sin, of suffering, death, and these things, where those things will come to an end and there will be nothing but eternal joy. 
And that's your hope as you see your Lord cleanse lepers, as you see him heal the servant of the centurion, as you see him raise the dead, and, and even as you saw him last week change water into wine. That's your confidence as you go through this life bearing the cross and saying in that great hymn we just sang a few minutes ago, Why should cross and trial grieve me? And you know that even in those times when God may appear to be far off, when God may appear, at least in your mind, to not answer your prayers, God is still caring for you, and in his time, he will accomplish his will for you, and it is good. Because we know what God's will ultimately is. It's seen in your forgiveness, life, and salvation as that has been accomplished for you in Jesus. So to cling to that and know God's will is your salvation and pray thy will be done, even as you face your own death, is to have a great faith that see things differently. Because even death has lost its sting then when you fix your eyes on Jesus crucified and risen. In that great hymn of the day, Paul Gerhardt, who wrote that, put it so beautifully. The guy who, if you remember, lost a lot of his family, knew, not, knew uh, a lot of his adult life of nothing but war around him and all kinds of things. And in, those la in that last stanza, that's also written on his grave, that last stanza that we sang. Now in Christ, death cannot slay me, though it might, day and night, trouble and dismay me. Christ has made my death a portal from the strife of this life to his joy immortal. What a confession, what a faith that we marvel at and that, that the Lord has given to us. A friend of mine, um, when I was in St. Louis a couple of weeks ago, we were walking around uh, the graves of uh, uh, different figures in the history of the Missouri Synod. I know, that sounds like great fun, right? Walking around graves. We're nerds, but it's what we do. But um, there's, there's this great big gravestone that it's just a big uh, stone crucifix of Jesus on the cross. And here's this grave of this um, theologian that we study, and it just says, Christ died for us, right? That's the confession of this guy in death. That's the confession of the centurion. That's our confession. Because you know Jesus this day, and he knows you. And God marvels at you as you behold him in faith. The Father sees Jesus who has atoned for your sins. And for his sake, you are righteous in his sight. And that means everything, absolutely everything, as you sit here now and as you go from this place. Because the Lord calls you as his own, and he guides you through this life through his word. So always set that before you and go to where he has promised to be. Even at times when you wonder what in the world's going on, you know that. You know that the Lord has given you life. And so confess your sin and crucify that old man who would have it your way. And instead, go to God's means of grace. Find consolation, find peace. Your Lord is made known and he is the God of mercy toward you, a sinner. And you're not worthy that he should come under your roof. But he has come. And he's here. So hear his word. Take and eat his body and blood. Cling to Christ who has done all things well. And marvel at him who is your Lord, Jesus Christ. Who looks at you, his baptized people of God, and says, Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. Amen.